So you might just grab a piece of paper or a pen or something, drop that in Genesis 15. We'll come there shortly, uh, but we will be in Romans chapter 4 for the majority of our time together. Last week we ended Romans chapter 3. We walk in through the book of Romans. Last week we ended Romans chapter 3 uh, with a slight objection. It was just a little faint objection that we might have heard and Paul addressed it in Romans 3 verses 29 and 30. And here's what was going on. He said, for 64 verses, you are a sinner condemned before God. I am a sinner condemned before a holy God. All of us are sinners. None of us is up to the mark of the glory of God. All of us are sinners condemned before God. And yet, God sent Jesus to take our sin on the cross and primarily... God sent Jesus to show His own righteousness so that He could be both just and justifier of those who believe. That was verses 21 to 26. And then He had this small objection. If our righteousness comes because of faith and not works, well then what about 1,500 years of Jewish people who had the law? What about them? It was just this faint Thing. We don't see the words there, but we see the response to it. And the response is in verses 29 and 30. Let me read that because then he's going to pick up on that and continue into chapter 4. So let me read verse 29. This is chapter 3. You're at chapter 4 already. Just slide up to 3, verse 29. Here's his question. Is he God? Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. We know that. Verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. So is there, here's what his question is, is there a different God for the Old Testament, different God for the New Testament? Answer, obviously no, he's the same God. His characteristics are the same for the Old Testament as they are for the New Testament. Nothing changed. We do not have a new way of salvation, righteousness. We cannot gain it by doing our own good deeds. Instead, he has to declare it. That's the word justify. He has to declare it, declare us righteous. It's a legal term. Declare us righteous, and we get that only through faith in Him. See it in verse 28. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So even though you have 1,500 years of people trying to do it, the law always tells you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The law never makes you right. It only shows you where you're wrong. Then we come into chapter 4, he's going to give us, in today's passage, we'll see verse 1 down to verse 12, he's going to give us two, I'll call them Old Testament heroes, people that would have been looked back on with great affection, we'll see two Old Testament heroes that help us to see that salvation or justification comes by faith, not by works. The first one is in verse number 1. We see him very clearly. Easy to see his name there. Verse number 1. What shall we then say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Let me just explain those words. Our father pertaining to the flesh. In other words, Paul, a Jewish man, he says, our father according to the flesh. So, in other words, my tumbuna is Abraham according to the flesh. He was a Jewish man. Remember, Abraham was the first... Jewish man. First Hebrew. Now, he was never a 
He was never one of the children of the Hebrews. You know why? Because when he became a Jew, he was not a children anymore. <laughs> he was an old man. All right? God called him at 75 years old, not a child anymore. Right? But he was the first Hebrew. First Hebrew, and then everybody that follows after him, all of his descendants are all Jewish people. And he says, so what do we say that Abraham, our father, has found? What did he find? Now, when Paul's writing this, I think it's important for us to take a moment and think in the way that they were thinking, because I think that when we come to it, we approach this uh, from our 2021 setting, we've kind of missed or we've lost a bit of the history that's going on there because we just don't follow through with it. We're Gentiles. What did it matter to us who Abraham was and what he did? It does not normally affect us. But for the Jewish people of that day, Abraham was a big deal. You might remember all throughout the Old Testament, the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, they loved Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, they almost idolized them. And, and I'll give you some evidence to this. How many of you have heard of the Apocrypha? How many of you have heard of the, the Apocrypha? Apocrypha is, it was a collection of books. They were never considered a part of the Bible. But many times, if you go to some really old, old, old Bibles, you'll find it in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, historically, they were written during that time period. Malachi wrote 400 years before Christ, before the Gospels, 400 years before is Malachi, and that's kind of the end. That is the end of the Old Testament. And during that 400-year time period is when a lot of the apocryphal books were written. The church has never accepted the apocrypha as a part of the canon of Scripture. It's never accepted that. However, it has kind of carried along, and, and, and here's why this is so important. In those apocryphal books, several times they mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they really elevate them. I'll give you one of them. Uh, here's, uh, uh, I'll give you two quotes. One of them is from uh, one of those apocryphal books is called The Prayer of Manasseh. It's a short book, and in that Prayer of Manasseh, here's what he says. I want you to listen closely and see if this lines up theologically. Here's what he says. Therefore, Lord, God of those who do what is right, you didn't offer Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, listen closely, you didn't offer Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who didn't sin against you. Wait a second. That goes exactly against Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't say that there was anyone who was sinless, only Jesus. Let me say that one more time because some people think that Mary was that way. There is no one who is sinless, only Jesus, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we were to think about this, and here's this, this, this statement, and this statement being written just a couple hundred years before Jesus is born, so you've got people that are going to the synagogue, and they're hearing these things, and they're going, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sinless. Whoa, hang on a second. Just think about Jacob, the poor guy. Even his name, the dude's name means cheater, heel grasper. <laughs> I mean, Jacob, you remember Jacob. Jacob was the guy that, uh, remember, dad was getting ready to bless his brother, older twin brother. Dad's getting ready to bless Esau. Jacob's like, hang on a second, that blessing comes to me. He runs out, kills the goat, all right? Now, he's trying to beat his brother who's trying to bring a deer, right? And so he runs out kills the goat, cooks the stew, takes the skin off the goat, throws it over his own body, tries to deepen his own voice so he can come in and try to trick old blind dad, right? Like, that's got to be disgusting as he comes in with a freshly killed goat skin on him, right? There is no way to say, oops, I slipped and I was wearing goat skin today. 
He is lying, and he's doing it on purpose. Sinful guy. Isaac, his dad. You might remember Isaac. And you think, well, what did Isaac do wrong? Uh, maybe you forgot. Isaac was headed down to Egypt, took his wife with him. Her name was Rebecca. I think there's something about pretty ladies named Rebecca. She's not here right now, but uh, yeah, I think you're, you're putting those pieces together. We call her Becky, all right? Just uh, Rebecca. Pretty lady, pretty wife. And so here Isaac comes into Egypt, and as he comes in, he realizes, my wife is way too pretty. Good problem, right? Uh, my wife is way too pretty. The king is going to try to take her, and in order to get her, he's going to kill me. So he goes, hey, how about we just tell everybody you're my sister? Now let's take a moment, a moment of truth, brothers. Uh, if you're married and you're a guy here, I need a good hearty amen in just a second, all right? So just gear up, be ready. Uh, it, it, let's just think about how important it is that men should be protecting their wives, not looking to protect themselves. Am I right, brethren? Amen. Good. Yeah. If you need, I'll say it one more time. We should be protecting our wives, not looking to primarily protect ourselves. Am I right, brethren? Amen. And all of God's men said amen, and their wives were waiting heartily for them to say so. Now, look, I know she's related to him. She's a first cousin, all right? That's a whole other story in itself. And yet, she is his wife. And he's going to chuck her under the bus so that he can get away with his own neck. Guys, that's sinful. Sinful. And in case we just give it to him and say he did wrong, oh, guess what he, where he got that? His dad did the very same thing. Abraham, down to Egypt with Sarah, the exact same thing. You know they say the apple doesn't treat, fall far from the tree? Uh, dads, let's be careful because sometimes there are sins in our lives that will be generational. And be careful that we put a stop to those sins in our life so that they don't trickle on to our children and grandchildren. And in case we just want to give Abraham a free pass on taking Sarah to Egypt and passing her off as his own sister, don't forget the fact that Abraham also had a child with his wife's slave girl. And so if ever there's sin going on, definitely Abraham is a sinful man. And yet, in Paul's day, here's this mentality that, oh, Abraham, sinless one. No, 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 we're all sinners before a holy God and we're all condemned. We need his grace. Uh, another place in the Apocrypha was uh, this book called Ecclesiasticus. Don't mix that up with Ecclesiastes. Those are two different books. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, a very wise man inspired to write Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiasticus was written by a man named Ben Sirah about 200 years before, uh, before Christ was born, and he wrote from Egypt. And here's what he wrote about Abraham. Here's what he said, and this is in those, this is part of the readings that the Jewish people are reading as they're coming into Paul's day and Christ's day. Here, here's what they, he had to say. Ben Sirah wrote this. He said, Abraham was a great father of many people. In glory was there none like unto him. Be careful anytime you want to say glory. Comparing, there was no, here's his words again, in glory there was none like unto him who kept the law of the Most High. Uh, there's a problem here. How can you keep a law when it hasn't even been brought about yet? It's another 600 years after Abraham that Moses is born and the law comes along. There's no way that Abraham could have kept the law. It was impossible. I might just say this before we continue on in our passage. The Apocrypha, don't, don't think that I'm just chucking the Apocrypha completely out. I think that it has some good things in it. And there's one book called Bell and the Dragon. If you're looking for something really cool to read, that sounds like a real neat name, right? I would put it on par with a devotional or hymns or uh, commentaries. 
they're good to read and they're helpful for your spiritual life, but be careful about placing them on the same par with Scripture. They're not the same as Scripture. We get our theology and we get our doctrine from Scripture. We don't get them from those supplemental spiritual helps. And again, I'll say, I would say the very same thing about hymns. Sometimes we can sing hymns, but sometimes within the hymn there might be a misunderstanding of doctrine. So make sure that we're taking our doctrine from Scripture. So here we continue on. Uh, the, the idea that Abraham is sinless is very much against the idea of Romans 3.28. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So here is Abraham, impossible to live up to it, and you and I the same way, impossible to lift up, live up to it. So we might say it this way, God declares us righteous based on faith and not on works. God declares us righteous based on faith and not on works. See it in verse number 2. This is Romans 4, verse number 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what says the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. We receive God's righteousness given to us, declared, declaring us righteous. We receive that righteousness by faith, not by works. It's very clear that he says this. Now, let me just point out, we'll hone in on a couple of words in verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 2. If Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof to glory. That word glory is the same word in the Greek language, the same word is what you find in verse 27, boasting. It's the same root word. So here he says, he says, if Abraham is justified by doing good works, then he can, another way to say it, he can boast. He can be proud of himself. It is not the same word as 323. 323, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is so magnificent, different word, is so magnificent, you are unable to ever live up to that. But here he says, if Abraham is becoming righteous by doing good deeds, well, then he can boast. But we saw last week, where is boasting? It's excluded. None of us can boast. We have nothing to stand on and say, oh, look how good I am. No, I get righteous by faith alone. God declares me righteous. It's not because I did something good enough. Well, some might say, but wait a second. Abraham's good deeds is also tied to his faith. Let me help you with this. If you have faith, you will do good deeds. But the good deeds are not what make you righteous. The faith is what makes you righteous. He declares you righteous because of your faith. Now, let me help you with, some people would say, but wait, look, Abraham did these things, and that's what God made him righteous. Let me give you an example of one of them. This is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith where they have all of these different people from the Old Testament that are named, and it shows their faith. And let me show you one of them. This is Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. You remember that? Remember that story? There's Abraham taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah. He's taking, uh, taking Isaac with him, and up the mountain they go, and they've got the firewood, and they've got the fire. And you remember Isaac's question, Dad, you've, you've got the firewood, and we've got the fire, but where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? You remember Abraham's response? God will provide himself a lamb. What a great picture to the cross. God will provide himself a picture. And, and, and so they continue on. Now, here's what I want you to grasp. As they're going up the mountain... 
Abraham, I honestly do not think Abraham has in the back of his mind that they're going to get up there and there's a ram caught in a thicket. I don't think that's in his mind. And here's why. It comes right out of the... Hebrews 11, the rest of the verse, he that had received the promises offered up by his, up, his only begotten son. Here's Abraham putting his son up for an offering. Verse 18, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. Here's the idea. Abraham's going up the mountain. He's going to sacrifice his only son. And he's going up. He's planning this. God told me to do it. But he's also believing something. God said that through Isaac, there will be descendants coming. And there will be a mighty nation coming through Isaac. God's been very firm about this. So if God calls me to slaughter my own son as a sacrifice, God's going to have to raise him from the dead. That's the mentality that we get out of Hebrews 11. So we get an insight into how Abraham is thinking. He's thinking, if I sacrifice my son, God will raise him from the dead. He's not thinking there's a ram in the thicket. It's not in his mind. And so he takes Isaac up. They build the altar. They put the firewood on the top. And I am certain that by this point, they're putting the firewood on the altar. I can... Almost imagine as Isaac is beginning to figure what in the world is going on. My dad's a hundred plus. He has got to have gone off of his rocker. Cuckoo man. (laughs) And then dad turns to me and says, well, son, God told me to sacrifice you. I'm sorry. I love my dad. The Bible does say, Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. I would prefer that my days be long upon the earth by actually being alive. (laughs) This is a problem. If I honor my father, my days are going to be short. (laughs) Right? And yet, I have a feeling that Abraham has this conversation with his son, Isaac, and says, Isaac, I don't understand how this is going to work, but God said, I have to sacrifice you. And yet he also said that through you, so son, I have no idea how this is going to work, but you're going to get sacrificed and you're going to get raised from the dead. Isaac submits to it. That's amazing. If it was me, sorry. I'm running for my life because my life depends on it. And there he goes. Abraham raises the knife. And when Abraham raises the knife is when God puts a stop to everything and says, Abraham, hey, cut it out. I've got a ram right over here in the thicket. That's an amazing moment. Now, if we're not careful, we're going to say, Please follow closely. If we're not careful, we're going to say Abraham's faith was him raising the knife. And because of that, God declared him righteous. Then we take that and we bring it to our life and say, see, you have to do good works to prove that you've got faith. And that's not what Scripture says at all. Let me show you where it was that God declared Abraham righteous. Look over to Genesis 15. So if you've got that piece of paper in Genesis 15, drop it back in Romans 4. Look at Genesis 15 and you'll see where did God declare Abraham righteous. So here you are. Genesis 15, verse 5. God shows up. He's going to talk to Abraham. While you're turning there, let me remind you that all of those promises that God gave to Abraham, he never got to see them in his lifetime. Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. By the time he dies, if you do the math, of how old he was when he died and how old his sons were, he's got Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And there's a really good chance by the time he dies, he gets to see that Esau's already headed into the world. So really, two. That's not much of a nation. 
Abraham, here's what God told him. Abraham, I want you to leave from Ur of the Chaldees and you'll go to a place where I'll show you and I'll give you a great land. He spends the rest of his life wandering with tents. He does not get to see the fulfillment of these promises with his own eyes. But he believed God would do it. And so he went. Now watch verse 5. Here's one of those promises. And in this promise we get to see Abraham believe. Here it is, verse 5. God brought Abraham forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Count those stars. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So here's Abraham. Come out of the tent, Abraham. God and Abraham go outside the tent. And God says, Hey, have a look at all this bajillion stars that are up there. I don't even know if that's a number. All the bajillions of them. And have a look at them and count them if you can. Now, that's going to be the number of your descendants. Now, hang on a second. If the faith that was counted as righteousness was raise the knife and stab your son, that's a different thing. It involves an action. Ready? The faith that's involved in look at the stars, I'm going to give you that many children. What's he got to do to be counted as righteous? Nothing. You believe it. That's all there is. I believe you, Lord. You said it. I can't really do anything right now. I just believe you. Let me pause right there. In our life, when God says, I put Jesus on the cross to take your sin, what do you have to believe? You can believe that, but then you can't do anything. I can't go out and put a cross up and pour some blood on it. I can't do any extra activity. If I go jump in the water and get baptized, that's an added activity. I don't add anything on. The work that Jesus did was 100% complete. I don't top it up. I can't do anything to add to it. I just believe. God said, Abraham, count the stars if you want to. You're going to waste your time because you're going to run out of numbers. But I'm going to give you that many kids. Abraham believed God. See it in verse 6. He believed the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. That is the verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4. So come back over to Romans 4 and see him quote it in verse number 3. What says the Scripture? What did the Old Testament say? What did he say in Genesis 15, 6? What did he say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham did not work. He only believed God. Now, verse 4 tells us why that's so very important. Verse number 4. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if Abraham had worked, 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 and God said, okay, I see all these good works that you do, therefore I'm going to declare you righteous, then that means that God owes Abraham. It would have been paying a debt. And remember that God owes no one. He has no debt to anyone. He is the creator. He is the giver. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. He owes no one. Therefore, all we can do is believe. This is so very important. He owes no one. Now let's, we come into verse number 5. Uh, let me read it and then I'll tell you how I see it. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I see verse 5 as the negative of verses 21 to 26. 
Now, let me explain this, what I mean by this. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember putting film inside of a camera? How many of you remember, the, remember putting film inside of a camera? All right? So digital cameras have just made us lazy. All right? They just made us lazy. Yesterday, we went out, went out to the beach with family and friends. We took like 4.6 gigabytes of pictures and video. It's blown my mind. We got back. I'm like, I don't have enough space on my laptop to be able to take all these pictures off the camera. This is ridiculous. But back in the old days, young people, I'm talking about back when there were dinosaurs, all right? Uh, you, the, you, you remember the cameras? You remember the camera? Now, I understand some people probably still do this. They'd be real professionals, and they probably look down their noses at us with ki- digital cameras. But back in the old days, you had to go to ChemCare, and you bought the film. The people in Kodidanga called it Biomfilm. You go and buy the film, and uh, you get the film, and you put it inside the camera. If you had a fancy camera, you push the button, and it, next picture. But if you didn't have a fancy camera like the rest of us, you to the next picture, right? And then you stand there, and you're going to take a picture, and you've got to look through that little tiny hole. And you look through the little tiny hole, and you click. And you have no idea. Were they smiling? Were they had their eyes closed? You have no idea. Was there enough light? Is it going to turn out? And you are going to have to take 24 pictures before you get to the end of the roll. That might be three months from now. By the time you wash that film, you don't even remember what number one was. <laughs> and then it's time to wash the film. You take it back down to ChemCare. You go in. You pay the fee. And they tell you it'll be two weeks and you'll get your pictures back. And when you get your pictures back, they give you this little booklet. You guys remember this? The paper booklet. You open it up, and you get really excited because I don't even remember what pictures were in the one, two, three, and four. You open it up, and you pull them out. Oh, yeah, I took that picture. The lighting was terrible. That one's bad. You remember this? You know what I'm talking about. Now, inside the same, inside the same paper, you've got, the, you've got the, the good pictures, and then there's the strips. You remember those? The negatives. The negatives. As many positives as you have... There's that many negatives. Now, if you were like me, you pulled them out. These don't mean anything. Throw those away. But if you took the time to look at it, you could look at it up against the light, put up against the light, and you could see it's the same picture that you took, right? So you've got the negative and the positive. So I would say that verses 21 to 26 are the positive. It's really explained, and it's really wide open. It's easy to see. Then verse 5 is the negative that goes with it. I think he's saying, in verse 5, he's saying the same thing that he said in verses 21 to 26. Let me show you the positive, and then I'll show you the negative. All right, so here we go. Here's the positive. He says the same thing three times in verses 21 to 26. I pointed them out last week. Let me show them to you again. Here's the idea. We get righteous when we believe. That's the positive. Verse uh, Verse 22 shows it very clearly. The righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So we believe and we get made righteous. He says it once. He says it again. Verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So I believe on Jesus' work and I get made righteous. Then verse 26, he says it again. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Three times. Believe, believe, believe. That's the positive. Now, as it were, let's take the the positive and then look at the negative. You know, you remember what I'm talking about, the negative. That's the one when you look at it, all the white places are now black. All the black places are now white, right? It's the, the opposite. 
but it's the same picture. Same picture. Here comes verse 5, and see him say it in the negative three times. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, that's negative, you're not working. The one that's not working, what's he doing? If he's not working, he's trusting, right? So the one that worketh not, but, second part, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. You realize that in order to be made righteous, you have to start off ungodly? Anybody want that one? Oh, by the way, it is all of us. And I need him to make me righteous. And I have to see that I'm ungodly. That sure is a negative thing. And then the last one he makes in, in verse 5, his faith, that person who believes and does not work, his faith is counted for righteousness. Not his works are counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. And God looks upon us and he says, you are made righteous by faith, not by works. Abraham, you are made righteous by faith, not by works. Ungodly? Anybody want that one? Oh, by the way, it is all of us. And I need him to make me righteous. And I have to see that I'm ungodly. That sure is a negative thing. And then the last one he makes in, in verse 5, his faith, that person who believes and does not work, his faith is counted for righteousness. Not his works are counted for righteousness. His faith is counted. Abraham, that's the first example. Second example is David, verses 6 to 8. Verses 6 to 8. Let me read verse 6 for you. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So here's David. You might remember we talked about David a few weeks ago. The fact that God is faithful in spite of our sinfulness. David writes these words that are found in verses 7 and 8. He write, wrote them in Psalm 32, which was a follow-on to his sin with Bathsheba. You might remember David deserved justice. You remember what's of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute. He deserves, David deserves justice. You know, justice would have been, David, you need to die. That's justice. And Ahithophel wanted it. I don't know if you remember Ahithophel. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Very interesting there. Ahithophel used to be David's, one of David's most close, trusted advisors. He sat in the court with David, gave David advice, and yet when Absalom ran away and split the kingdom, started the civil war, I don't know if you remember this, Ahithophel ran to be with Absalom, and when he ran to be with Absalom, he knew where David lived. He knew what city he would be in. He knew Ahithophel wanted it. I don't know if you remember Ahithophel. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Very interesting there. Ahithophel used to be David's, one of David's most close, trusted advisors. He sat in the court with David, gave David advice, and yet when Absalom ran away and split the kingdom, started the civil war, I don't know if you remember this, Ahithophel ran to be with Absalom, and when he ran to be with Absalom, he knew where David lived, he knew what city he would be in, he knew... I can just imagine, just think with me, when Uriah died at the battlefront, 
So we're going backwards in time there. When Uriah died at the battlefront, word came to Bathsheba. Whether she knew or she didn't know doesn't make a difference. When word came, I'm sure that she was devastated. Her husband was just killed on the front line. And by the way, she's hiding it and she knows that she's with child. Her husband was just killed on the front lines. And her family comes and surrounds her. Can you get this picture? Her family surrounds her and mourns for her. Ahithophel, an old grandfather, I don't know if he sat in the corner and cried or if he came and held his granddaughter and cried together with her, but he is mourning for she knew or she didn't know doesn't make a difference. When word came, I'm sure that she was devastated. Her husband was just killed on the front line. And by the way, she's hiding it and she knows that she's with child. Her husband was just killed on the front lines. And her family comes and surrounds her. Can you get this picture? Her family surrounds her and mourns for her. Ahithophel, an old grandfather, I don't know if he sat in the corner and cried or if he came and held his granddaughter and cried together with her, but he is mourning for the contrite spirit. He was repentant. Now please grasp this, brothers and sisters. True repentance says, God, whatever the consequences... I'm willing to take it. And that's where David went. David said, God, whatever the consequences, I'm willing to go through it. Repentance is not, I'm sorry that you went through that. I'm sorry that what I did offended you. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I'm willing to pay whatever consequences there are. That was David. And by the way, while we're here, I think the right thing for Ahithophel would have been, remember what... God said, Romans chapter 12, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He always does it right. I'm willing to take it. And that's where David went. David said, God, whatever the consequences, I'm willing to go through it. Repentance is not, I'm sorry that you went through that. I'm sorry that what I did offended you. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I'm willing to pay whatever consequences there are. That was David. And by the way, while we're here, in need of forgiveness, and watch what his words are, keep in mind what he's just done and all the damage he's created. Here's his words again in verses 6 six through 8. Even as David describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. How will David ever live up? He's destroyed his testimony. How will he ever live up? And he says, Blessed is the man that God gives righteousness without works. And then verse 7, he gives more depth to it. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So instead of God imputing sin, God imputes righteousness. Let me take just a minute and define imputation. How will he ever live up? He says, blessed is the man that God gives righteousness without works. And then verse 7, he gives more depth to it. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. And instead, he says, blessed is the man that God will impute righteousness and does not impute our own sin. Oh, I do not want God to put my sins upon me. Another place, David says this, we are not dealt with according to our iniquities. Do you realize that if God dealt with us according to our iniquities, oh, we would be so hopeless. I would be destroyed under the wrath of God. 
And instead he is imputed. And then David says, there's a blessing in not having my sin imputed to me and instead receiving God's righteousness without the works. Oh, David felt it. And I believe you and I would as well. Let me walk quickly through verses 9 to 12 and we'll wrap the passage up today. As I come into verse 9, it's almost like Paul is writing and he's talking about these old tithe according to our iniquities. Do you realize that if God dealt with us according to our iniquities, oh, we would be so hopeless. I would be destroyed under the wrath of God. And instead, he is imputed. And then David says, there's a blessing in not having my sin imputed to me and instead receiving God's righteousness without the works. Oh, David felt it. And I believe you and I would as well. Let me walk quickly through verses 9 to 12 and we'll wrap the passage up today. As I come into verse 9, it's almost like Paul is writing and he's talking about these old tithe for us to differentiate these. Does this blessing only come on the Jews or does it also come on the Gentiles? And I think that this is Paul again saying with frustration, please, can we get beyond this racist issue? He has said it at least four times up to this point. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. He said it many times, and you might remember at the very beginning, uh, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto those who believe, to Jews first and also to the Greeks. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. 3.22, there's no difference. 3.29, all of us. He's said it over and over and over, and here he is again. He's saying again, it's not just for Jewish people to be blessed. Uh, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto those who believe, to Jews first and also to the Greeks. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. 3.22, there's no difference. 3.29, all of us. He's said it over and over and over, and here he is again. He's saying again, it's not just for Jewish people to be blessed. He says he's 75. Genesis 16 says he's 85, so he's somewhere in Genesis 15, somewhere between 75 and 85 years old. Well, when did he get circumcised? When he was 99 years old, Genesis 17, 24. There is at least 14 up to 24 years between those two that he was righteous without the sign of it. It's a symbol. The circumcision is a symbol of his righteousness. It is not the means of his righteousness. Another example a symbol is not the thing itself. I've got a wedding ring on. Let me ask, how many of you are married? And I want you to keep your hand up. If you're married, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Good, 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 good. All right, if Genesis 17, 24. There is at least 14 up to 24 years between those two that he was righteous without the sign of it. It's a symbol. The circumcision is a symbol of his righteousness. It is not the means of his righteousness. Another example, I got married 15th of May, 1999. A few days or a few weeks, I don't remember, before the wedding, I went to the jeweler and I bought two rings, one for me, one for her. When I bought them, they belonged to us. When I bought them, does that make us married? No. We didn't get married until 15th of May, 1999. Now, Fast forward to today. My hand has gotten a bit fatter than it was back in those days, so this ring almost won't come off. I really have to work to get it off if it's going to come off. This ring has just kind of grown into my hand, 
But as I get older, it'll probably grow all the way around and become a permanent fixture. So if something were to happen and it comes off, I don't know why. It definitely won't come off. Uh, but if, if something happened and I were to lose it, does that make me unmarried? them, they belong to us. When I bought them, does that make us married? No. We didn't get married until 15th of May, 1999. Now, fast forward to today. My hand has gotten a bit fatter than it was back in those days, so this ring almost won't come off. I really have to work to get it off if it's going to come off. This ring has just kind of grown into my hand. As I get older, it'll probably grow all the way around and become a permanent fixture. So if something were to happen and it comes off, I don't know why. It definitely won't come off. Uh, but if, if something happened and I were to lose it, does that make me unmarried? He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. In other words, he was declared righteous way back when he was 75 years old. That, so there's a reason that God did this, that he might be the father of all them that believe, not just the Jewish people. All of those who believe will be able to say, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. Just praise the Lord. Right? Because of faith, not because of the works we do. It says it again in verse 12, the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also... That, so there's a reason that God did this, that he might be the father of all them that believe, not just the Jewish people. All of those who believe will be able to say, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. Just praise the Lord. Right? Because of faith, not because of the works we do. It says it again in verse 12, the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also... Verses 6, 7, and 8, three times the word blessed shows up. And our culture today defines blessed differently than Scripture does. Our culture says blessed means healthy or wealthy, or it means that you can laugh a lot or you have a good family. That's not a biblical definition. Remember, David, in the middle of turmoil, is talking about blessed is a man. So this blessed is not the way we are using it today, and I think it's better that we adjust our vocabulary to the biblical definition. So let me give a definition for blessed. Blessed means secure and content in God. Remember, David, in the middle of turmoil, is talking about blessed is a man. So this blessed is not the way we are using it today, and I think it's better that we adjust our vocabulary to the biblical definition. So let me give a definition for blessed. Blessed means secure and content in God. Unleashing His wrath. He's holding it back and He's going to unleash His wrath upon us. After 64 verses of that, we got the glorious gospel that Jesus took the wrath of God. God put Jesus as a propitiation to take His wrath and to turn it away from us so that we could trust Him. And now we get to have... God's righteousness placed on us so that when God sees us, He sees the righteousness of God. And we get that, by the way. We get it in Jesus. Now, every week I use the same verse. And I think you probably should be able to quote it by now. 2 Corinthians 5.21 When God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin at all. He never did a sinful thing. God made us 
made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now those words are very important. We're made the righteousness of God. Here's justified, declared righteous. God has given us His righteousness, and how do we get it? By being in Jesus. Now, as we go further in the book of Romans, this phrase, in Him, in Jesus, is so very important because it's going to change the way you live. Transformed by the gospel because you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Being in Christ. We'll talk about it when we get to chapter 6, being baptized into Christ. We are in Christ. So being in Christ, we receive the righteousness of God. So God put our sin on Jesus. He imputed our sin on Jesus, and He imputed Jesus or God's righteousness onto us. And we got it because of being in Jesus. One more verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say it a different way. I am blessed by being in Jesus. I'm content and secure with God. There's no condemnation coming from Him. I'm blessed. David would say it. I am blessed. And you and I can say it. I am blessed because I'm in Christ and I got God's righteousness. There was no way I could ever live up to it. But instead, by faith, I trusted Him and He declared me righteous. Father, I pray that You would help us to grasp the glorious gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation and therein it's your in Jesus. I'm content and secure with God. There's no condemnation coming from Him. I'm blessed. David would say it. I am blessed in you. You're going to overcome sin. The power of sin is going to be defeated in our lives. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Thank you for not imputing our sin to us. But instead giving us your righteousness. For it's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen.